This podcast is now streaming on the Accounting Influencers main show. Subscribe to the Accounting Influences podcast to listen to more content just like this. You can also watch this episode on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to learn even more from the very best experts, thought leaders and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Insights in Accounting. Insights in Accounting. The Insights in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown, going out as part of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, but not for too much longer. You may recall if you're a regular listener that we have five shows going out. We're phasing that back down to one that will be our flagship show on a Monday. Currently called Success in Accounting to 30,000 accountants in 150 countries. That will become our Accounting Influencers Podcast, where we bring you the very best influences and insights from the accounting profession. But this is our Tuesday show, going out for just a few more weeks for January 2023 until we phase this out. I'm thrilled to have with me today a perennial guest host, always got something great to say, it's Carl Reader. Good day, Carl. Hey, Rob, so good to be here and on a wonderful Tuesday as well. It is, and we've started 2023. The game is changing on so many levels, Carl. You're running an accounting firm yourself. You're an entrepreneur. You're certainly an influencer. You've noticed some things going on with the internet and how that's changing. Just tee this episode up for us here. Yeah, of course. So to provide some background, um, you know, for those of you that don't know me, I have my fingers in multiple pies. However, um, my core background and training is in accountancy, got an accounting practice, but I also invest in businesses. So we've got businesses as um, diverse as an urban conference, put it that way. Uh, who would have thought that there could be such a thing as an urban conference, business brokerages, so on and so forth. So I get to see quite a wide range of what's going on, um, not, not just in the economy and from a financial perspective, but also from the reality of what's happening. Um, add that onto a couple of the personal projects that I've got going on at the moment. Um, I'm an author and I'm currently beavering away top secret, but not really top secret on my upcoming books and having to update some stuff. And all of this stuff has led me to an observation about what's going on online. And it's actually supported by something that was shared in the Air Group. So, Rob, I'm sure you've shared on this podcast before what the Air Group is. But you know, from my perspective, it's a networking group of accounting influencers. And we, sh- we share stuff that's interesting and that can help us all. And one of the things that was shared was an infographic, um, but not quite an infographic. It was actually a video and it was a visualization of what's changed on the internet based on the most popular websites. Um, The staggering thing for me of this, first of all, and this is just an anecdote, was that the websites were from 1993. Now, to put this into context, in 1993, not only had I not heard of the internet, I was 12. (laughs) So I wasn't a digital native. Um, I'm a little bit old to be a digital native, but I came into the online world probably around 1998, 1999. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was when I first got online and had a home computer and so on. We, we, we weren't a rich family. We didn't have all of the modern technology and so on. So we were a bit behind the curve on this stuff. Anyway, the interesting thing for me, going back to the anecdote, was that from 1993, the first decade or so, there was only one website, the most popular websites, but I don't remember or hadn't visited. Okay, and then in fact, of the first probably the first 20 years, there was only two. 
And one of them was because it was called American Greetings and I'd have no reason to go on to it. But the likes of AOL and so on, they, um, you know, they were around at the start and they continued to be around. Yahoo um, was the big search engine back then as well, Carl, wasn't know, it? So, so there was a, a bit of a change of, you know, like us and then Yahoo or the other way around um, and then Google. And, you know, there was a bit of a change in the rankings. And, yeah, when we talk about the sites like, um, you know, we, we talk about, Lycos, for example, where, where is Lycos now? We talk about Ask Jeeves or Ask.com as it later became. Um, we talk about all of these websites, they're now historic, but the pace of change back then was actually very, very slow. Yeah. What's happened recently, what I've noticed, is if we carve out the big players, so we carve out the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, um, YouTube. And yeah, and the YouTube. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really talking about Twitter because Twitter is, um, despite it being artificially inflated in some circles, actually this, this visualization shows that it's one of many at that level. Mm -hmm. um, what we found is actually there's a lot of change. And here was the shocking thing for me of this anecdote. I knew more of the sites from a percentage perspective from 1993 for the first decade when I wasn't using the internet for half the time compared to the most recent decade, mm. which opens up a couple of points for me that I just wanted to, um, to expand on in this in this chat, Rob. Sure, so because the, this has implications for accountants and accounting firms, doesn't it, Carl? Absolutely, it has implications for accountants, it has implications for their clients, and it has implications for what we do day to day, week by week, year by year, personally as well. So the first one that I would like to call out from this is that the pace of innovation has been such that we need to consider whether websites are now the thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand pounds, dollars, etc. investment that we would make and put on the shelf for five years. My contention is that actually, no, they're not. Um, and I say that based on my work on my current website, and it fascinated me. So I'm very much a kinesthetic learner, Rob, and I struggle learning visually or, um, or or hearing stuff. That that doesn't work for me. The way that works for me, and it's the rarest of the three, and I know that some people debate the three methods of learning um, concept and so on, but let, let's not try and get too complex about this stuff. Let, let's let's look at um yeah, let, let's look at this point in hand. I learn by being hands-on. My way to design a website is to play around with it rather than having a blank canvas or talking to somebody about it. It's just getting stuck in and doing it. And what amazed me was that, first of all, the, the pace of websites looking outdated. And I say website based on websites as we currently understand them, i.e. a brochure with modern interactivity, modern layouts and so on, um, possibly e-commerce, etc., um, possibly members areas and so on. So all of the modern tech as it is today, the design perspective is getting outdated quicker and quicker. Mm. Okay, so that's the first thing. And it horrified me when I looked at my own website that was only designed a couple of years ago and it was designed very professionally, paid a lot of money for it, but actually it looks horrifically outdated and broken now compared to what we can have today. And I'm sure that that pace of evolution of expected design is going to continue to increase. Secondly, we then have, um, in terms of a website on the shelf, the technology behind it as well, which actually brings me on to my second point quite nicely, which is um, it's not just the pace of updating our websites as we see updating a website, 
But now I believe we really do need to consider what the second bounce of the ball is when it comes to how we promote ourselves full stop using digital media. So we've seen um, email marketing came in in the 2000s. By the way, top tip, that was a great time to start doing direct mail, handwritten envelopes, because no one was getting posts and everyone was getting emails, selling everything from Viagra through to whatever else you could want on the planet. And we had no spam filters. So you were just going into a load of noise. Over time, that's become paperclip marketing, become social media targeting. I think we need to be prepared for what is next. OK, and I'll say what is next, as in does what is next need a website? Mm. Many businesses nowadays, I don't bother with a website. It's like buying a fax machine. You know, they don't need it. They don't bother with a Facebook page. They might just have an Instagram page and a Snapchat account or a TikTok account. They work their business based on their demographics behavior. And also based on the increased functionality of these tools. So if we were to look at TikTok, for example, anybody who spends a bit of time on TikTok will know that the current trend on there is the TikTok shop. And you sell your products directly through TikTok in the same way that Instagram offers you the click-throughs and so on. Where will that journey go? Will the website be a relic of the past, much in the same way that today we might see the A4 Glossy brochure as a relic of the past? And... 10 years ago, we saw the fax machine as a relic of the past. So that's the second thing that I want firms to think about. The third and final thing that I want um, firm owners to think about is with all of this stuff changing, have we got our eggs in one basket? And I want to bring in just one salient example that I've had myself from uh, a few years ago that was really scary and it really made me feel vulnerable. And I look at creators on LinkedIn with big followings and so on. I look at um, people who rely on websites and pay clip marketing and so on, and I'm really scared for them. And this is the reason why, Bob. I was um, traveling out to QuickBooks Connect in San Jose. Now, some of the listeners I'm sure may have been to QuickBooks Connect and will know the kind of the scale of the event. It's a phenomenal event. It's laid on with no, or certainly was laid on with no expense spares. You know, great keynote speakers. I'm, I'm talking the likes of Oprah Winfrey and Shaquille O'Neal. You know, the kind of people I grew up with. Uh, Bob, I gave away my age, so um, so I can kind of say that. So, but they're not cheap either, Carl. They're more expensive they're not cheap, than you. They're not cheap. Things. They're not cheap either, and I'm not cheap either, Rob. So. <laughs> I, I was on my way out there and the session was to be um, focused around the power of personal branding. So to talk about my journey of getting in every national newspaper in the UK, every TV station, every radio station, all of that stuff and how I did it. And for me, one of the um, one of the key ways that that was done was I mean, it was a web of marketing, as far as I call it, but it included social media. Mm. Now. I've always seen social media as a complement to an overall PR and marketing web. It kind of gets people into your world, but it isn't the be all and end all. And you can flip around. Anyway, I was traveling out. And at the time, Instagram was, without a doubt, the hot topic of social media. It was the thing that people wanted to know about. It had just gone from being a photo sharing app with some strange filters to actually be in somewhere where, you know what, there's some utility here. And I seem to remember at the same conference, 
be um, there was somebody from Instagram doing a session. It was it was the real trending topic at the time. So you cast your mind back, 2017, I think it was, 2016, 2017. So I was at Heathrow Airport, Rob. Okay. I was waiting to go on my plane, as you can imagine. I was um, sat in the lounge having the complimentary champagne. By the way, I don't drink now, but having the complimentary champagne, scrolling through my phone. And you know what? I couldn't log on to Instagram. I couldn't share that selfie in the lounge. Mm -hmm. Now, for somebody who's an oversharer on social media, that is catastrophic. Yeah. However, for somebody who's traveling to another country and has been paid to be on stage to talk about personal branding, social media, and how they promote themselves, it's not just catastrophic. It undermines the whole delivery of what I was offering. There was a lesson in that. Somebody else was in control of everything I was doing over that week. Mm. Okay. Even though I believed I was in control, but I was on stage, I was the one delivering it. It relied on me having that platform available to me. So that's a really long-winded way and a personal anecdote. It got fixed, thankfully. Um, luckily, Intuit, I seem to remember, were able to pull some strings with their account manager to get it all rectified. So thankfully we got it sorted. However, the lesson from that. It, well, I think accounts need to consider, not only do we need to think about this place of change that we discussed right at the start, not only do we need to think about the diversification of platforms that are available and what the next platform is, we absolutely must think very carefully before deciding to jump in feet first into one platform or another. We need to think that the internet, whilst it's becoming a bigger and bigger place in terms of the number of websites and the diversity of websites and so on. It's also becoming a much smaller place at the very top of this charts. So I said about how Twitter was small fry compared to the big guns. It was still number five or six or whatever on the list. It's just there's a handful of individuals now, you know, the likes of the Mark Zuckerbergs and so on, who control so much of our firms if we're relying on one platform. And we need to question whether strategically that's the right decision for us. Yeah, there's so much in there, Carl. And that old idea of your website is one and done. Well, it's an organic thing and we can put content on it every now and again. But that is your shop window. That is where you attract new candidates and talent. That is where you attract new clients and put your words in the shop window, if you like. So are we ultimately seeing the the irrelevance or the obsolescence of websites for accounting firms and they need to be on different platforms or lots of platforms what's the future okay so that's a really good question and i don't believe that i'm going to agree with you however i'm going to suggest that as we see websites at the moment we could be heading that way so as we see websites at the moment as a as a typical accounting firm you know i'm talking about 90% of the market. Now, I'm sure we've got some of the market leaders here, but we talk about the average accounting firm. They've probably got a website that is between a year and four years old, probably. And that website is probably pretty bland. If we were honest with ourselves, we might be paying for content syndication, like news updates. We might be paying for some calculators and so on. But the reality of it is, Rob, that that website is a online 4D version of what we would have had in a brochure. We've gone from, we were established in the in 1915 after World War One, on paper. So we were established in, after World War One online. 
we've just moved the medium in which the brochures delivered and added some nuts and bolts to it. I believe that now um, by the buy-in process of any customer, whether it's the cheapest product on Amazon, where you're looking at a commodity that you're trying to go from £2.99 to £2.50 or a high level service, a good part of that buying process is based on social proof, it's based on online reviews, it's based on offline conversations, it's based on what works for other people rather than the brochure itself. So I think that, first of all, that buying behaviour has changed. And what it means is that the presence across the board and the reinforcement of that presence by other people is more important than ever. But why I don't think websites are completely stale and why I don't think we will end up selling our tax returns and accounts through TikTok shop, unless we're a certain kind of business, and there will be a space for that, by the way, but I won't cover that today. The reason why I don't think they're completely obsolete and why, why I contend a little bit of your question or your assertion in the question is that actually when it comes to websites, there are a couple of kinds of websites out there. We've looked at accountants' websites but we've not looked at SaaS tools. We've not looked at um, you know, the social media platforms where they're portals for communities and so on. So we've not looked at the different kinds of products that sit on a www.com address. So you've got your brochures, which is pretty old school. You've got your web apps, which could be you know, for the accountants in the room, your zeros, your QuickBooks and so on. But it's also your Google Drives, it's your um, Adobe subscription, Canva. It's all of these stuff where we're now used to having software in the, soft, in the internet browser rather than buying the CD-ROM or the floppy disk for those who are old enough. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that second bit. And then there's the third part, which is the community hubs, which again are still online as a www.com website, but are typically delivered as apps to create engagement, build the dopamine and so on. So there's a few different kinds. Typically for accountancy firms, they focus on the first. That was the only one available in the early days. And it's the lowest cost, easiest at the moment. Where I'm going to plant the seed, just to get some people thinking about this, is I want firms to consider how could their website be a web app? How could their online presence be a community? Now, I'm not going to feed the precise answers here. I've got my views. Other people will have their views. But I think it's just worth thinking about after a firm has listened to this podcast and hopefully they like the sound of what this gobby Essex guy is talking about. I just want them to think about what is it they can do from a customer experience perspective that lends itself to a true online firm, even if they deliver a personal service. OK, so we'll at a couple of stages of that. We could look at Apple on their website could have a brochure. They don't just have a brochure. They have an e-commerce site. How many accountants have e-commerce on their website? Mm. So that's the first step of this evolution. We could then look at when we buy insurance online. Let's say we're buying car insurance or home insurance. It could be a brochure telling you to phone someone up. Well, that's not an online solution, is it? Second step could be e-commerce. Third step could be an upsell process and an intelligent analysis of the data that's been put in by the customer to try and identify other services and solutions that could be a benefit for them. We could then potentially go on to the fourth step. Now, I've not seen any insurance companies do this, but where there's perhaps some artificial intelligence running behind the scenes and some machine learning based on previous buyer behavior, 
that doesn't just suggest extra stuff you can buy, but actually becomes the true concierge service. And it tells you about whether you should be looking at a lower or higher price premium, whether you're actually looking at the right kind of policy at all. You know, if you're looking at, um, I don't know, you're looking at home insurance and they say, well, actually, people like you, they, they tend to separate out their home insurance and their content insurance, and this is the reason why. And we've done this through analyzing thousands of, and thousands of accounts, and this is what we suggest going forwards. Now, that artificial intelligence could be around basic tax planning because it's formulaic. It could be around all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to drip feed all of the answers here, Rob. But what I'm saying is, we need to think about how we can build those kind of things into our customer experience to improve the customer experience. And finally, I mentioned about the third type, which is the um, what I call the community portal, which most people know as social media, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Bebo, whatever we call it. We need to look at on these platforms, actually, are they something that we can put into our business? Why would we want a community? Well, that's fairly obvious. It creates stickiness. It gets people into your ecosystem. It makes them a warmer um, friend of your business rather than a transactional customer. Um, how could you do it? How could you make sure that you don't get egg on your face with only two or three members, et cetera, et cetera? Again, there's a place for that. Again, I'm not going to force feed any answers or prescribe any solutions to this. It was something we explored when we were building Taxco. Um, so Taxco was a low-cost, very high-volume firm, and we were looking at putting community front and centre. Now, you might not have ambitions of Taxco. You might not have ambitions of um, even having 100 clients, you know, let alone thousands or millions of clients. But if you're niche in your practice or you're in a local area or whatever it is, whatever you're doing to promote your practice and to service your clients smarter rather than a scattergun approach, how can you utilize and leverage that community? So they're the three things that I'd like firm owners to be thinking about and in turn, hopefully provide you with the reason why I sat on the fence in my answer as to whether websites are dead, because the traditional website may be, the future uses of the technology uh, under the guise of websites as we know them today, there's quite possibly opportunities there. Wow, there's so much in there. And we covered AI and chat GPT on last week's episode. So uh, we'll go into that another time, but goodness me, Carl, yes, the world is changing and future-proofing your firm. So many ideas, thought-provoking questions there for accounting firms. Carl, thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you, Bob.